0: Well, hello, everyone. Good to see you. Um, I just heard some screaming behind me, so I think there uh, might be some kids outside playing. Um, So if you hear that, that's what's going on. Um, Maybe we'll unmute Kevin just to hear the water. That's a much more pleasant sound for background. Um, So awesome to be here with you. We are continuing in... um, uh, in First John, and we're actually wrapping up um, the series, and it's a good place to wrap it up because there's sort of what I was able to pick up, anyways. There's sort of three main sort of movements or themes—not um, if it was themes, but actually, kind of a three kind of kind, kind of three things, major things going on, but that they were all very deeply connected to one theme, which is about the love of God, and um, and uh, and so there are some assumptions that John has to make. And we begin with the assumption that he makes, and it's actually quite explicit. It's more than just a, um, a uh, subtlety for John. It's, a, it's really main and plain for him that <clears throat> Jesus <is clears throat> came in the flesh, and we began with that, Jesus in the flesh. Um, and, uh, and he makes that point, uh, as I said before, um, because it is so easy for us um, to inherit what we've, what uh, Plato had um, really explicitly, plainly said, which was the soul is really what uh, matters and is good, uh, and the physical or the flesh doesn't matter and is not good. That's where all the evil, the problems uh, reside. And so the goal was to be disembodied. The goal was to eventually get to the place of leaving this physical earth. And going to um, this place other than the physical world, which is where spirits uh, are. Now, this is where much of Christianity um, derived its theology, which is like we're going away from Earth to heaven. That's that's where the theology emerges. Um, the Bible actually attempts to do something quite different. Certainly, Jesus does too. Um, and uh, and John picks up on it. And for him, he says, "No, this is the point. Jesus was in the flesh. We touched him. We held him. We we saw him." Right. Why is that important? We asked the question. The question is, the answer was in part because if you don't actually value that God is flesh, God is in the physical, God is part of the physical. It creates a whole host of problems. And we could spend an entire series of six sermons just devoted to that because there's all kinds of problems that are created by that view. Um, And John addresses a few of them. One is that you'll, uh, you you won't you won't actually act um in a way that's that's loving towards people. Now, how does it make that connection if you don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh, that God is in the flesh? Well, that's easy because Dietrich Bonhoeffer even said that, famous theologian. He said, you know, it's so easy for us to come up and create imaginations of who we think God is. It's very easy. And our privatized version of God is very much in the in the imagination, not in the physical. So if Jesus isn't you know, if we can just put Jesus as sort of like this mystical, uh, this, um, yeah, mystical, but this sort of ethereal feel uh, person, like person that isn't historical, just kind of in our minds, our imagination, well, then I can say things like, I don't need to deal with this person that I have a conflict with because I prayed and God's forgiven me and I'm okay. See, there's it's, 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 it's all sorts of things you can do with that. You can say, well, I have a personal relationship with God. So that's what matters. Um, God told me to do this. Yeah. But the way that that's performing, the way you're behaving is actually really hurtful to other people. Yeah. But that doesn't matter because I have this personal relationship with God and that's all that matters. And so John is saying, no, because God is in the flesh. God is also in your, in your friends. God is also in your enemy. God is also in these people that you're having a hard time with. God is not, Outside of that, God is within all of that. It also means that you can believe that Christ is within you. And, uh, and that is changes everything about how you live. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. All right, so let's look at why this is, again, so important. Is because if God came in Jesus in the flesh, and Jesus was in every way human, but also divine. Um, Then it means that if I'm going to love God, I'm going to have to love people who are in the flesh. (laughs) I'm going to have to love them because God is in them. And that is the parallel that John is making is it's it's hard for us to conceive of because we're always thinking of God separate, God outside of, God different from physical world, but not for John. It's God in the flesh, God in the physical, very much a part of this world. So, let's look at 1 John, um, and I'm going to share my screen here. 1 John 4, and we'll read a few different passages. So, verse 7, we'll jump around a little bit to verse 19 and 20. But, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So interesting. Let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. You just, I mean, we for those of us who've been raised in the church, we've read this and heard this so many times. that we just sort of skip by it. It's like a so it's become a there's a song, actually, you know, that's been written by it, but it's lost all kinds of meaning right let's pretend you're reading this for the very first time everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god everyone does it does it say here christians who love have been born of god i mean i know this is provocative but this is scripture i'm just trying to be scriptural <laughs> i'm going to be a little bit of a jerk here but i'm just trying to be scriptural here like this is not i'm not saying anything John's not saying, right? So far, you're with me, everyone. The Greek word means everyone. Everyone who has been born of God knows God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. All right? That's, this is profound because what John is, is doing, and by the way, what Paul is doing, is to say very clearly just because you're an insider by ethnicity or by religion does not make you a follower of God, doesn't make you born of God. It's those who allow love to rise up within you and who actually live by love. Those are people that are born of God. And so rather than the line, which is nice, we like drawing lines around who's in and who's out by ethnicity, by religion, by you know gender even so you know in churches you know some churches around us you know it's like only men get to lead you know so it's it's nice it's it's like a nice line it's very clear but the line is actually cuts right through all of us through me and the question is am i living from love am i living through love am i living from that from that place and if i am then i'm born of god and I know God, right? But whoever does not love, let's look at verse eight, whoever does not love or uh, does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent His son is an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, uh, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Okay, deep theology here. No one has ever seen God. Now, John, if John just stopped there, it would be like, and what point are you making? <laughs> like, where are you going with this? But, be, but what he's doing is he's, this is deep. Again, this is very good theology. He's tying this into, he's making the point of, of, you have never seen God. You can't have a God in your own imagination that you perceive to be God that is divorced from the God that is within your neighbor. It's not possible for John. And yet we do. <laughs> We do. We all do. We all have an image of God, and we think we know God, and God knows us, and we're we're good with God. But John is saying, no, no, no. You have to come back to the higher level of theology. Yes, you've had these profound experiences with God that were outside of perhaps human intervention, but you also have to uh, engage in the God that's within your family, within your neighbor, within. Uh, other people because you actually have never seen God. And so there's no way for you to create this image or to have this sort of me and God kind of relationship. But if you love one another, then you have seen God and experienced God. That's the point John is making. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And then he goes on to God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Whoever. There's no sense of like the insider, or the outsider, except out of simply, are you living in love or are you not living in love? That's the insider, that's the outsider. So we love because. Verse nineteen, he he first loved us, right? So now we get into how does this whole thing work? Well, it works that you have first received, and then you give, and we'll talk about that order as opposed to the order that we sometimes think of, which is we give and then we receive, and we've taken that from a from a verse that it is better to give than to receive, right? But that's contextualized. It's wisdom literature. It's not meant to be a universal like this is how you live because here John flips this and says we love. Because we have first been loved. So it's that order. And I mean, he just said it earlier too, by saying not that we loved God, but that God loved us, right? So that's the order. It's I receive love from God and I believe that it is already present within me. And it is from that place that I give. Um, Whoever claims, verse 20, to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. That's That's pretty like harsh, right? That's pretty straight down the middle. Like I'm not, not mincing words here. And uh, and it can be an ouchie for some of us. Whoever loves claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. That seems to me, that always, when I was a kid and I'd heard that, that was confounding to me because I felt like, no, I love God and I haven't seen God. So how... How is John correct by saying that? That did not make any sense to me. And I hope it doesn't make sense to some of us here because this is still provocative to me in all the right ways and it pushes me um, because it's easy for me to love the God that I've not, never seen. John says that's not possible. So the emphasis is tipped not on personal individual relationship with God, But it's tipped in favor of collective experience of God. You see that? You see how it's tipped in that favor? Um, So, again, whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So, imagine if we if our experience of God was more through relationship with other people, if that's how we understood our relationship to God. Instead of our relationship to God and then to people, it was our relationship to people. And then that's how we understand God. Okay. But that's, that's the entire flow of the old Testament to the new Testament. Or that's the, um, I should say not the, the flow, but that's the, uh, That's the revelation of Jesus coming in the flesh. That's the the reason why it's such a big deal. It's because you will now have to interact with a God that's in the physical. And that God is very human. And Jesus was very human in every way. And that's hard. That's extremely hard. Extremely hard. Imagine the disciples. We think they would have had it easy to talk to Jesus. No, that was even harder because they had to see him in the physical. They had to see him in all his human frailty. People don't like that about that. They like to think of Jesus in a sort of superhero way, you know, like Superman, but he wasn't. And the Hebrew writer is very insistent on that. Like, he, he struggled just like you and me in every, in every regard. And so, this was why it is so important for John that Jesus is God in the flesh. It's because that's what you're, you and I are going to have to do to find God will be to find God and experience God in relationship with one another and not just in this privatized sort of spiritual experience that we um, have tended to emphasize in the evangelical world. Let's wrap it up with verse 21, and he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love his brother
1: and sister. So, let me stop the share here. Um, so
0: every time I switch out to Zoom, it moves my screens around. Here we are back to my notes. All right. So uh let's uh start with a few things. I just want to say a few things about um um this idea of receiving love and um giving love. <clears throat> uh, so, but I do want to say a couple things about, I just want to start off by talking a little, very briefly about the, the whole proving God thing that um, has sometimes been part of the church world um, that's actually really counterproductive. Um, so there's been a movement to try to prove, you know, prove God or dis- and the other side is trying to disprove God, right? So you have your, you have your atheists who are um, not just saying, I don't believe, I don't know that there is a God but the ones that are saying there is absolutely no God. And then on the other side, those who are saying there is absolutely a God and I'm going to give you the proofs. So what I want to encourage all of us is don't end up in either camp because either camp is a camp that produces, um, tries to produce certainty. And whenever we try to produce certainty, it's from at best, from a place of arrogance and at worst, um, or at worst, I should say, from a place of arrogance and at best from a place of trying to create certainty for us to give us that sense of security, right? But it never actually does. Um, And here John is making it, making the point that God is experienced, not proven. God is experienced through love, not proven in any other way. And so I I would suggest that, you know, if we were to actually try to act in love, like, I'm not going to try to prove or disprove God, I can tell you that if you have ever experienced love, you know what that feeling is like, to be loved when there was no reason for you to be loved. You hadn't done a thing and somebody expressed to you such kindness and such mercy, and you were so moved by that. And when that happened for you, what was going on inside? What did that feel like? What was that experience like? And John would say, that's God. That's what God is like. So it's God by experience rather than God by some kind of attempt to prove that there's a thingness to God. Um, And so we're looking at experience of love. And that's so important because that gets us out of the game of trying to feel secure and stay removed. And this one is about engaging in the experience of being loved which is much harder, much harder. This is the reason why I think people that are on extremes of either trying to prove God or disprove God have lost their heart and you feel it. There's like no, no sense of warmth, no sense of humility. The tears don't flow. There's just coldness, right? But when you have been loved and when you have given love and you have this exchange, there's a warmth to you. There's a, there's a spirit about that. And we've been in rooms together where we've talked about our stories and we've shared openly about our struggles. And we've had moments of, uh, of, of sharing our experiences of, of encounters with God. And the room fills with such beauty and such inspiration. And people are in tears with each other and holding each other. And in those moments, there isn't a question about whether there is a God or there isn't a God. There is just An appreciation for the love that is there. And we call that God. We call that spirit. We say, Boy, that is amazing. God spoke to me. And I love talking about that in the personal sense. God is so real and so loving. And that is what makes this all beautiful. And so this gets us out of this whole like extreme needing to prove or disprove and into the experience of God. And that's what we're invited into experience the love of God. And it takes us being in community with one another, which is hard sometimes because the kind of experiences we have with each other, are very human as well as sometimes very divine. It's a mix of both. So let me talk about receiving um, this thing of receiving love. So there's sort of three um, ways of encountering love. One is by consuming it. The other one is by resisting it. And the other one is receiving. The consuming love is this thing where we're seeking it and we're not finding it. We're pursuing it, trying to get a hold of it. And I've heard this from many people over the years. You know, I just don't feel loved. I'm trying to feel loved. I'm not getting it. Um, I feel, you know, feel resentful because I've been giving so much, but I'm not sure it's coming back to me. And so there's a lot, you know, resentment around that. People that are seeking affirmation, admiration, maybe affection, but never getting enough of it. And I think if we're honest with our own hearts, we might find that um, this morning. Some of us here might find that like, oh yeah, yeah, I've done that. I've done that. And, um, and it it's doesn't satisfy. I can't get there. Um, so that's the sort of consuming love uh, that sometimes we can end up in. Um, where consuming it means we're, we're trying to, it's coming at us we don't perceive it. It's just going right through us. So it's just consumed. Um, then there's the resisting love, which is the sort of like, I don't need help. Um, you know, I don't want your help. I don't, I don't need anything from you, you know? Um, and, and it's a sort of falling asleep to our own needs that can happen where we just don't have any awareness of our needs. Um and I've had conversations with folks recently who are just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what I need. I don't think I have many needs. I don't think I have any needs, really. I mean, it's really, I'm, I'm a fairly simple person. And, um, and I'd love to believe that's true. Um, but what I find is that um, it comes out in other ways. It comes out in frustrations. It comes out in resentments. It comes out all kinds of different strange ways, right? So we all need it. Um. But Jesus' fun little question in his day was he would come up to people and say, What do you want me to do for you? And the funny thing is he'd come up to people that it was so obvious what they needed, and he'd say, What do you want me to do for you? And boy, you would want to say, Come on, Jesus, it's so obvious. Just heal the person. And some of us would do that, right? We'd just go, No, I just want to heal everybody, touch everybody, do everything for everyone. And Jesus would deliberately say, What do you want me to do for you? In other words, do you know your need and can you articulate it? Because when you can then now you're in the mode of actually getting to the place of being able to genuinely receive and metabolize the love that is there. Once again, you're either consuming it, meaning you just don't see it. It's all around you. It's come your way, but you're in resistance, denial. You're not seeing it at all. You're just blind to it and you're chasing it. And none of the affirmations or affections are landing. They just go right through you. Or you're in resistance and you just don't, I don't need any. I don't want your help. Keep your distance from me. I don't want to be indebted to you. I don't want to owe you anything. And all of these motivations and what they do is they actually prevent us from being in the place of being able to receive God's love. Imagine that Christ has come to you in the last week. Numerous times through numerous different people in very human, broken ways saying, I want to love you. And maybe we were just like, I don't have any needs. I'm good. I'm just here to serve the world. And Jesus might be saying to you, you need to be loved. You need to be loved. Can you slow down? Can you open up? And can you receive? what I have for you. It's going to take some vulnerability. It's going to take you opening yourself up to something you might not want to open yourself up to. It's, it's a, a little bit scary, but this is so very important to actually being able to do what John is describing about being in his love, receiving his love, loving one another, but being loved by God first. Right? And that's the proper order. Some of us are much com- more comfortable with giving love, right? Then it is to receive it. I think, um, I forget what the four questions were that we had done, um, that Instagram survey, Jim, that we had done and the hardest question. So could you speak to that and tell us what the hardest question was for people? Yes. So we did an Instagram survey on our um, on the Art of Growth where we were saying what's the hardest thing to say, and so there was um, I love you, I'm sorry, I need help, um, and I'm forgetting the fourth right now. But across the board, the hardest thing was I need help. It was it was hardest for anyone to to be vulnerable enough to say I need something because that putting yourself in a, re- a re- receptive position creates this vulnerability that we're really uncomfortable with. And I wasn't surprised when I saw that. <laughs> Actually, I, I I think part of me wasn't surprised because I can see it within myself. And then part of me was surprised where I'm like, oh, this is this universal. We'll this
2: yeah.
0: struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's that universal. That, was that That was a surprise for me too. It's like, yeah, sure. I mean, I can see that why that would be hard. But wow, that's a real biggie um, for, for everyone. But that's, that's the point. That's the receptivity, right? It's, that's, what, that's the hard part for us is to be able to say yes to God's love. You, know? I, you, know, you think about Jesus coming up to Peter and saying, hey, um, he's washing the feet of the disciples. You know? Then he comes to Peter and Peter's like, hell no. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, unless you let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. That, bother, that, has been, that has been a verse that's bothered me for a long time. Like, like how, how, why, how do you turn from being a foot watcher to then being that, that like cruel almost like, you know, you can't have any part of me. But it's, it's fundamental to entering into relationship with God is your capacity to receive. We think our, our, it's our capacity to give that makes us good followers of God. It's not. Your capacity to receive this is why John says we love because he first loved us, that's the proper order. It, it, it's the assumption that you know that God needs something from us, and this is the thing that God is, is trying to answer throughout the Old Testament is like, Oh, you think I need the blood of goats and bulls and all that? You think I need that, right? Because in the ancient world, that's what gods did, gods demanded these farmers to produce you know to bring their best and to give and each year the it, it up the ante you know it was like now you need more you need to do more you need to do more um in the ancient mythology you know the 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 world of mythology and uh and and spirituality was that uh, these gods would actually come down to the top of mountains and consume the food that was offered by people by the priests Um, That's how they ate. They couldn't eat any other way was the theory. And so God says, no, I don't, I actually don't need anything from you. So the whole story of Abraham and Isaac, where God says, hey, hey Abraham, offer your son, Isaac, crucify him. Sounds horrible, right? Well, but the very point is God is saying, "That's I want to bring you to the point of recognizing you think that's normal. Because you're in the ancient world, you think that's normal. You think that's what it should be like. I'm going to tell you that it's not, that I have absolutely no need for sacrifice. I don't need your stuff. I'm here for you. And if I ask you to do something, it's because it's for you. You're the one in need. So can you be in the posture of receptivity? Because if you can, then you can also give. Now, here's the key thing, though. It turns on receptivity. The ability to actually give comes from your ability to truly receive. If you can't truly receive, you can't truly give or what you're giving has strings attached to it. It's a giving with the hope of getting something in return, getting love in return. But the kind of giving that Jesus speaks about that John speaks about here is a kind of giving that comes from having actually taken it in where the humility of opening up yourself, being humble and being vulnerable is you're overwhelmed by the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And at first it's hard, but then it breaks you down into a place of, oh my gosh, thank you. And I can't, Im- and it's just, it's, it's beautiful. You know, the receptivity of that. And when that happens and you're giving from an, a place of abundance rather than scarcity, right? So we either have abundance mindset. We actually have both happening all the time. Abundance mindset and scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset is I don't have love. I don't have enough. I need more. That's the sort of consuming stuff that happens to us. Abundance mindset is I've already received and I keep receiving and I keep seeing it. And it's always coming my way. And it's from that, that I can give. Right? And so that's the, the message that John is, is communicating is how to do this, how to move through, um, you know, to, to experiencing love is through knowing that you trusting that you're and being in this horizontal relationship with God rather than the vertical relationship with God. Uh, the vertical relationship is, oh yeah, I received love because I spent my devotional time reading the scriptures and hearing from, from God. That's okay. It's not the best. The best according to New Testament is that we're actually doing this together. That's the best, um, because it's, again, God in the flesh. Okay? Word became flesh and lived among us Um, and so that's what we're trying to strive for as a community and move ever more towards that
2: hi thank you guys so much that was such a a good message and such a timely message um i pardon the if you're crying in the background there's a little kid here who's not so happy right now so just so you know that's what it is um For benediction, I just want to share with you a very simple prayer that I want to pray over us. It's called the welcoming prayer, and this is associated with Thomas Keating. Um, And I'm going to, I just want to give one caveat here, especially in light of the sermon. Um, The words to this prayer are talking about how we release our need for affection, um, Thomas Keating was was famous for um, saying, "Look, a lot of our, our needs come down to three things. It comes down to the need for love or affection. It comes down to the need for safety, um, and it comes down to the need of power. We need power. These are the three things that most of our our needs fall into these three categories. And so, as as I pray this over us. I just wanna clarify that we're not saying that when we pray this, that um, those needs aren't legitimate or that those needs aren't, um, you know, kind of these primal longings that we have that are part of who we are. Um, But what we are saying as we release these is we're saying, Jesus, I often try to meet these needs in so many ways, and I wanna invite you I want to release these needs to you so that you can meet these needs in me first and foremost. So I just want that um, understanding to be there. So I invite you to open your hands, have a palms open posture as we pray this prayer. Jesus, I release my need for affection, significance, and esteem. Welcome, Jesus,
1: welcome. And you can even say that with me right where you are. Welcome,
2: Jesus. Welcome. Jesus, I release my need to feel safety, security, and ease.
1: Welcome, Jesus. Welcome. Jesus, I release my need to have power, respect, and control in this situation welcome jesus welcome and finally jesus i release my need to change reality and i receive it as it is welcome jesus welcome
2: Jesus, we do just welcome you this week in particular with all of our individual situations and circumstances. We say welcome. And in those times and spaces when we find ourselves kind of clawing and trying to like meet those needs in whatever way that we can contrive and manipulate, we just say welcome. Welcome. And help us to have a sense of you
1: in that. In Jesus' name, amen.